This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I will get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend, Sean Lake, co-founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself, my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter, that has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear the full story behind Bubs Naturals, and the courage of Glenn Doherty. Listen to my interview with Glenn's best friend and Bub's co-founder, Sean Lake, on episode 558 of the Behind the Shield podcast. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 5.11 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 5.11tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. 
And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 591 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show stunt performer and John Cena's stunt double, Spencer Thomas. So we discuss a host of topics from his journey through football, how he found himself LA pursuing acting, his journey into stunts, physical and mental health within the stunt performer world, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 600 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Spencer Thomas. Enjoy. Well, Spencer, I want to say, firstly, thank you so much for connecting with me online, and secondly, for coming on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. So, I know it's an unusual answer to my first question. Where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Uh, Today, uh, we're in Colombia. We've been here for three months now. Um, We're filming an action movie, um, action comedy, with John Cena and Alison Brie, and it's um, uh, kind of a military-type... military type deal john cena's retired military uh ends up getting called back to action for a freelance job and and uh for an escort job it's supposed to be an easy kind of deal and it takes a turn and uh yeah time of action ensues beautiful well i know you're not originally from colombia so i'd love to start at the very beginning of your timeline so tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic how many siblings and uh what did your parents do so I was born in Modesto, California, um, and you know, shortly after that, we moved to Sacramento, Roseville, Rockland area. So I call that home. I call Rockland home. Um, my parents owned gyms, Gold's Gym franchises. So growing up, we bought another franchise, and I grew up working in front desk and juice bar, and um, eventually got into personal training. And and you know, my older brother did sales, so he he closed the deals on the members, and he'd send them my way, and we'd just work as a team and. You know, during that whole time, we were, you know, playing football. We were heavily involved in sports. So um, I have two brothers and a little sister. Um, so my both my brothers, I was fortunate enough to play with both of them through high school and a little bit in college. And then my sister, you know, she just did like, you know, cheerleading and, and you know, all that good stuff, tennis, all that. So we uh very heavily sports-based family, um, big on being active. Um, grew up, you know, wakeboarding and water skiing and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, kind of our background. (laughs) Well, when you think of Gold's Gym, obviously you tend to think of the bodybuilding world. So, but your, one of your brothers ended up becoming a firefighter. You obviously became a stunt performer. What did your kind of training look like the whole time? You're doing all these different sports as well. Did you kind of get pulled down the bodybuilding route or was there more of a functional element to your training? You know, we, um, 
as a football player, you're constantly, you know, lifting, you know, max weight as heavy as you can. And it does translate pretty well over to the bodybuilding world and working at a gym, you know, we have guys coming in like Lou Ferrigno and, you know, we did have Arnold come in at one point and do like a photo shoot or whatever. And, you know, seeing these guys, these massive guys, it's just like, you know, they're like these Greek gods and looking at them as a kid, I'm like, damn, I want to be like that. You know, I'd love to be like that. But, you know, I, and I always trained to look that way. I just never got into bodybuilding. I had a lot of friends that did bodybuilding and I heard all the dark sides to it and all the egos that go into it. And I just kind of, I've always steered clear of it. And I, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be really cool to do a show, but I just never really took that next step to, to commit to it. So um, I just focused strictly on football through high school and college. And, um, you know, the workouts just kind of shaped me and, and how I look. And it ended up being a blessing, you know, down the road after once I met John and, uh, you know, kind of having similar body types. And of course, when I met him, you know, he was 250 and I was two, 230. So I had a bit of a gap to, to fill. Um, but it ended up, you know, over the past couple of years, ended up uh, working out. He's been dropping weight and I've been kind of just maintaining and we're, we've, we've met in the middle now we're both 235. So uh, that's a pretty um, good story. Yeah. I met John Cena and he was too heavy. So I told him <laughs> you're going to have to come down to my weight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he kind of realized like, uh, after wrestling, you know, he, you know, you're larger than life when you're in the octagon and you have all or the ring and you have all these people like, you know, live watching you. But once you get on the camera, your body, you just look so massive, um, on camera, you know, and I think he's decided that, you know, leaner is better. And, you know, he started to, you know, we both started stretching more and kind of doing more cardio and, and dropping weight just to kind of have that leaner physique instead of being this bulky, you know, kind of monster look. So, um, I prefer to be bigger, but you know, John wants to drop weight. We're dropping weight. <laughs> well, one thing that's a common denominator when it comes to the athletes and a lot of the coaches that come on the show, when you have someone who just played a single sport and you see this, especially as a coach, you know, and, and you get the travel ball. And I talk about this a lot, but there, there definitely seems to be uh, an accepted kind of lens that that will set a young athlete up for failure down the road. You did all mm. these different sports, football, you know, you were, you were weight training, you were um, wakeboarding. Were you pretty resilient? Did that serve you well doing so many different sports as you became a kind of uh, high school and collegiate athlete? Oh, for sure. You know, just kind of being able to be versatile. Um, and, you know, I think every sport kind of teaches you a little bit, something different about yourself and about your body and, and how you move and how you, you know, react to certain situations. And, you know, um, wakeboarding was just balance and, you know, core strength and, you know, training is, uh, playing football is, you know, working as a team and, and, you know, strength building and, um, kind of trying to have that hive mind and all work together and think the same and, um, um, work towards a goal. Um, so teamwork was, was a huge thing that I learned, um, which translated really well over, you know, to the stunt world. And, and of course, weight training is just, you know, training your body and your mind to push through the uncomfortable and, you know, continue to, to grow. Um, I, I, I played baseball as well a little bit, you know, growing up and I also fought some Muay Thai. So just all those things kind of together. Um, once I got into this stunt career, it was just like, holy shit, like I've kind of been doing this my whole life, you know, adapting and, and learning new skills. So why not, you know, make it, make a living out of it. 
Well, that is the interesting thing. When I grew up in England, I always wanted, I dreamt of being a stuntman, but when you're a British, dream of being a stuntman is almost unobtainable because there was, there's a stunt, I forget what it's called now. Um, but I still have oh, the registry. book. Yes. And right. to be on yeah. that, it was an insane amount of prereqs. You had to be yeah. level this gymnast. You had to be a high diver. You had to be, you know, a black belt in this, this and this. And it was, I mean, you know, you'd literally have to start in school and you'd be 50 by the time you were done with it. So it kind of wrote it it's off. Crazy. But then when you come to the US, at the higher level, you know, the guys who are the, the fallers and, and the fire divers are you know, amazing Olympic level high divers and gymnasts. And so you find that really, if you, if if you're a multi-sport athlete, it serves you well. And then if you have that one specialty, ultimately, and I was martial arts and swords was my thing. Um, yeah, that, that will serve you well as a stunt performer. And obviously the, you know, the, the higher you go, I mean, some of the gymnastics now in the martial arts is insane, but, but yeah. yeah, so it's not so much about you have to be good at everything. You know, if you, if you, race motocross for a living there's a good chance that you might end up on a motorbike movie for example 100 percent. yeah i mean and i know guys that just specialize in you know driving or just specialize in motorcycles or or high diving you know um and they have are having killer careers you know you don't have to be the guy that does everything um you know if you just want to specialize totally fine i know guys that just skydive they do skydiving scenes and they make stupid amounts of money you know on shoots so it's like, you know, there's, if you're an athlete and you want to be a stuntman, like, or a stuntwoman, like there's, there's a place for you, you know? Absolutely. Well, when you were school age, what were you dreaming of becoming professionally? Uh, my goal was to, to go to the NFL. That's what I wanted to do. All I wanted was play, play ball on, you know, the big arenas and on Sundays. And uh, that was my drive. And um, I think that, you know, growing up, I didn't really have a good grasp of all the things that I needed to do to accomplish that goal. I just knew I was going to play football and I was going to train hard. You know, I didn't think about uh, the film aspect. I needed to have film. I needed to have, you know, send this stuff out to coaches. I needed to make people aware that I was, that I existed. I just, I just played, you know? Um, and then in hindsight, you know, we get to my senior year and I'm like, shit, I don't have any of my film from the last, you know, three years. I don't, you know, I transferred schools and the coaches don't know where I went. You know, I have no contact with them. So that was kind of a big aha moment. Like, Oh, I kind of fucked that up. Um, so I think, you know, just, uh, really, you know, kind of documenting my, my journey playing football should have been a little bit more, uh, recognized for me, but I just, I just, it was over my head. All I was concerned about was, was playing ball. So, it's funny because I had the same experience recently. Someone was like, oh, you know, we're going to be putting out this new show. Can you send us your show reel? And I was like, shit, I just realized I did all these stunt shows. Maybe I have a picture of me holding a sword or a you know, police helmet, but that's it. I have nothing, yeah. zero of like two decades worth of stunt shows. Yeah. And you don't want to be that guy on set that's like, hey, take a picture of me. <laughs> well, that's just it. Like you said, when you're in the moment, you're, yeah. you're actually doing it. So the last thing is, and then, you know, sadly now we have the opposite where people film themselves doing everything. But yeah, I I, I hated that. Mm-hmm. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> so how did that translate then? You you know, you, you were playing at a certain level. You weren't getting yourself out there. Did you just kind of find yourself at the end of the roads when it came to the professional route? So, you know, I, I had my, my, uh, a bunch of my own mistakes, you know, I wasn't going to class and, you know, getting the grades that I should have gotten, um, which in hindsight is very important if you want to play at the next level. 
Um, I wasn't, you know, I'd get in fights on the field. I, you know, just doing stupid shit outside of, outside of football, going to parties and getting in trouble. Um, and what ultimately, you know, and I was a good player, you know, I was playing, um, first string linebacker and second string, you know, I'm sorry, second, first string fullback, second string middle linebacker. Um, and so I was playing both ways in college and, and, uh, you know, my coaches didn't really like me too much for some reason. Um, but, uh, oh, my dad would come to practice and watch the practices. So my coaches felt, I don't know, some kind of hatred towards me for that. So they were like trying to embarrass me in front of my dad when he'd come to practice. I actually heard that just a couple of weeks ago from one of my coaches who contacted me. I was like, you know, coach, coach Eaton used to try and embarrass you in front of your dad because he didn't like that he'd come to practice. Holy shit. And this is the same coach. I told him, you know, I'm trying to go pro. And he goes, dude, you're a six foot white guy. He goes, you ain't going anywhere. He's, this guy sounds so like a real right. visionary. <laughs> he's he's the fi- he's a five eight Mexican dude who's the meanest motherfucker you'll ever meet. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we, uh, you know, my whole goal was to prove that full wrong, and you know, just work my ass off, and um, eventually, I uh, we were on a f- on the field one day, and and uh, it's game day, and he's not putting me in. I'm standing on the sidelines, you know, getting amped up, or you know, the other team is already destroyed our locker room, pissed on the floors, talking shit to our coaches on the way out. Um, and this, this middle linebacker, he's wearing the same number as me. He's number 58. I'm standing on the sidelines waiting, you know, to go in. Our quarterback rolls out. We're on offense. Quarterback rolls out straight to me. He steps out of bounds right in front of me, and the linebacker just destroys him. Like, way late hit right into my knees. So, boom, he hits me, takes out my knees. Linebacker gets up, spits on our quarterback, and I just – I gave him a good uppercut and his helmet goes flying. You know, of course, all the flags come flying out. My team tries to grab me and hide me. And that was it, man. I got ejected for like four games and uh, my coach wanted to make an example out of me. So he gave me another game. So I was ejected for five games uh, my junior year of college. And I was just like, dude, man, you know, my goal was to go somewhere else after this. And it's, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, you know? Um, and so I went and told my girlfriend at the time uh, that I was going to play another year at Sierra at my, at my college. And she's like, no, I'm not doing it. She's like, you know, you either get a real job or you, uh, you know, or I'm, I'm out, you know. So I went to my coach and I said, hey, man, I, you know, I got, I got to take the rest of the season off. I'm going to go find a job and I'll try and come back next year. And he's like, better luck next time, man. And that was it. He's like, have fun. And so I go back to my girlfriend. I was like, Hey, I quit the team. She's like, she's like, no, I'm, it's already over. <laughs> We're done. Oh my I God. I met a new guy. And I was just like, fuck. So my whole world just fell apart. My, you know, my, my career, my, my college career, my relationship. And it was just one of those moments I came home and I just fucking like went to my knees on the grass and just started crying. I was like, what the fuck do I do? You know, how did I get myself in this situation? My little brother comes out, my little brother Pierce, he's a firefighter now. And it's just like, bro, like, you know, you'll figure something else out, you know, don't, don't freak out. And so two weeks later, I pack all my shit and I moved to LA and, um, you know, from there I, I ended up doing some acting stuff and then getting into stunts. So it just kind of was one of those things where it's like one door, door closes, you got to find another door, you know, to walk through. So. Um, it was one of those defining moments for me. It's like, wow, I actually feel like I got rid of a lot of baggage you know, <laughs> um, and at the time it seemed like the world was over, but it was actually just a, 
a new path that I that I actually needed to go for. So it just wasn't for me. Now, did you find yourself in a, in a dark place for a little bit though? Because when and it's mirrors the fire service, for example, when someone you know, retires out, when someone you know, transitions out of the military or they get hurt, you mm-hmm. you know we identify as a firefighter, as a as a soldier, and you know in your case, you identified as you know future NFL player. You lose that position, you lose, you know, the relationship you're in, you move to one of the least personal cities on planet Earth, where you yeah. can be desperately lonely, you know, surrounded by billions of people. Was was there a kind of low point before you kind of started swinging back up again? Oh, for sure, man. You know, I it probably took me to, you know, two or three whole weeks to kind of wrap my head around things. And, you know, I got a job at a nutrition shop. So I'm serving people protein and pre-workout and I'm just like, this is so depressing. You know, this is not where I want to be right now. And, you know, I'm probably making like $10 an hour or something. And it was just like one of those things where I just felt like such a loser, you know, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not living up to my own expectations. And, you know, and I, I hold myself at a very high standard, higher than other people do. And I think we all do that, you know, but it's something where you just got to recognize like, look, I can either sit in this, this cloud and, and, feel sorry for myself or I can figure something else out. And I was like, what else do I have going for me? And I kind of just went down the checklist and I was like, well, my, my aunt lives in LA, so maybe I can go stay with her and, uh, you know, figure things out down there. You know, um, I could go be a firefighter. That was where, you know, I was talking with my little brother about that. And that kind of is what sparked him to want to be a firefighter. We both had this conversation. Let's go be firefighters together, man. Let's go to school. Let's do it. And uh, he ended up getting picked up. Um, by a college called Cabrillo in, in, uh, in Santa Cruz. And uh, so he was like, dude, I got, I got to go play for them. You know, I got to go do this. He was still playing ball. So I was like, bro, you know, go for it, go do it. And, and so in that time I was like, all right, I'm moving to LA. Let's, you know, let's figure things out out there and see what I can do. Um, and then we were planning to do the fire Academy together. And, and I just got stuck with in stunts and I was, I, I fell in love with it. So um, I, I was like, man, I can't come back. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to do it, you know? And he, he and I have both, I've been a stuntman for 10 years, doubling John for seven years now. And he's been a firefighter for seven years. So it was kind of funny how it correlates between us. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, for me, I, I'm so glad that I kind of took that leap and that step, uh, to kind of just explore new options, something totally new. And, um, you know, once you get to LA, you, have a ton of options, you know, all, all different types of girls, all different types of work, you know, that you could do, you know, the, the, once I got there, it was kind of like this aha moment, like, holy shit, like there's so much more out there, you know? Now, when I moved to LA, I actually got picked up by Anaheim, but my, I went there because okay. my son's mother, I'm, I'm divorced since and remarried, but she wanted to go over there to, to you know, to make it big, quote unquote, and sure, um, sure. central casting seemed to be the thing that got people in. Was, was that the route you took initially? Central casting, yeah, that's my that was my place, man. I I got in with uh, Central and was doing extra work, you know, four or five times a week, and sometimes I get little featured roles, and I'm sure it would happen to you too. You, you know, you're like, oh shit, I'm you know I'm a featured extra today. This is huge. You know, my rate went up twenty bucks or whatever, um, and you're getting to work with these big actors, and I think. Uh, that definitely like set the groundwork for me to, you know, learn everybody's position on set and kind of understand how things operate and, you know, what to do and what not to do watching other extras, just be over the top or, you know, talking to directors or actors and people that they shouldn't be, you know, talking to at certain points, you know, 
And it, it actually was this lady, her name's Brandy. I wish I knew her last name, but Brandy from Central Casting. She's the one that gave me the call to, to double Cena for the first time. Um, so I did three rounds of auditions with, you know, 15 other guys and ended up getting the job to double John. And, you know, it was a photo double body double uh, gig to, to do uh, this movie called The Wall. And that was my first meeting with John. I was just like, at that point, I had been doing stunts for three years. Um, you know, indie stuff or student films or, you know, day playing on TV shows. But, um, you know, I was officially a stunt guy at that point. So I met John and I was like, holy shit, man, like I could double this guy if I gain weight, like this could be my guy. And I, um, I had friends telling me before I met him though, that I, that I needed to drop weight. So coming out of college, I was 245 pounds and I was, and I had dropped to 220 because I was like, I, they're telling me I'm not going to be able to double anybody. I'm too big. You're too big. So I was like, okay, I'll drop weight, you know, get down to 220. Then I meet this guy's 250. My like, shit, I need to get my weight back, you know? So yeah, shout out to, to Brandy from Central Casting for, you know, putting me kind of on that path. And um, everybody looks down on extra work, you know, but I think, uh, I really think that that's a good path for people to take just to learn the industry, you know, from the basic, from the basic, you know, point. Yeah. Well, I had an interesting journey because I, I became a firefighter in california so i didn't do any extra work at all but mm. my ex um through what i forget what the publication was but they were looking for real firefighters to be i forget i think it was enhanced extra was a term they used but they wanted real real firefighters for the world trade center movie with nicholas cage wow. so yeah. i ended up hustling a bunch of anaheim guys and then we got there there was long beach fire and some la guys and it was an amazing experience because we kind of got leveled up a little bit. We we got the you know the good uh, food and beverage and all that stuff. Heck but, yeah, man! And it was bizarre because you're on this kind of mock up of you know the world trade pre and post explosion or collapse. But uh, yeah, very very interesting. So I didn't get to do the central casting myself, but I watched her do that. But that did take me to ultimately get on on that particular set. Well, it's funny because like, you know, these little doors open and you're like, ah, you know, it could be a thing. It could not, but you walk through the door and it's, uh, it ended up, ends up leading you to other places. So that's pretty cool. You know, that's a pretty cool story. So you mentioned about doubling. Obviously people think of that as stunt doubling, but initially you probably, I'm assuming you were helping set up the shots and, and kind of prepping it. So the actor comes in and, and does that. Is that right? Exactly. Set up for eyeline and lighting and, you know, do, do some stuff for sound guy and, um, you know, those kind of things. And then, and then there was a lot of scenes where in this film, John, John gets shot early on. So I was laying in, you know, the dirt face down and, and fire ants and full, like, you know, military gack. And it was just like, um, uh, a lot of the stuff that, that he just didn't want to do, which <laughs> totally fine with me, you know, <laughs> 17 day shoot out in Palmdale. It's like 110 degrees outside. Like it was a crazy experience. And, um, but, super cool super blessed to, to have done that and that's kind of what got me started got you know me in front of john in the first place so well you mentioned about pursuing stunts for three years prior to that you know my background is is pretty much all the live stunt shows and you know a lot of people come out of orlando and la and you know ended up in the film and television um but before we started recording excuse me you talked about Waterworld, which i think is a phenomenal show so talk to me about trying to get on there so yeah, there was, um, I, I auditioned three times to be on Waterworld, you know, and you get there and, um, three years in a row, three times I auditioned and I didn't get it <laughs> not once. So, and every time you go to the audition, there's probably 300 people there, you know, all these working and stunt people and, 
you're looking around you're like, holy shit, I know that guy. Like his resume is massive. He's going to get this job, you know? Um, but you, you know, you go through like their workout regimen and then you have a fighting scene that you have to do and you've an acting scene, you know, the, you know, the drill. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're having to collaborate with, with new people every time you just kind of have to pick, you know, people out of the, the, the audition that you want to pair up with. And I think it was the Mariner, the lead woman, and then the bad guy. So you had to have, um, the three of you had to all work together to, to, you know, do a fight scene or a dialogue scene, things like that. And, um, I'm actually friends with a lot of those guys that I, that I did those auditions with and none of us got picked. None of us got, got the job. Um, but it's, it's funny. So we do the audition and then they call you, you know, you'd find out three months later, Oh, the whole time they were just looking for, you know, bad guy number two, you know, it's like, why did you call all of us? <laughs> why did you call all of us? They wanted a guy that was five for six. Well, then why didn't you cut us out right at the very beginning rather than make us yeah. do the whole thing? <laughs> yeah. And then next year it was like, oh, we wanted the female lead or, you know, we wanted a bald guy for the bad guy. It's just like, guys, like just be more specific. But it was cool because that um, in one of the auditions, um, I went in and I was fresh, man. I think it was my first year. and they're talking about, you know, what are your skills? And I think I did some collie stuff one time with a guy training and I went in, I said that I could do collie and they, you know, started asking me, well, what, you know, what kind of sticks do you like? What is this? You know, what is that? They started getting very technical about it. And I was like, ah, uh, and they caught me in a lie, you know, and I'm just trying to impress them with all my skills, but they caught me in a lie. And it was just like one of those things where it's like, dude, you can't lie about your skills, especially in stunts because, you know, people get hurt, you know, or you get put on the spot and you just look like a jackass. So that was a, that was a big moment for me. Where I was just like, okay, never lying about my skills again, because you know, it's, it's just not worth it, you know? So, and I thought I was like going to impress these guys with all these skills. I did some staff work and, and stuff like that, but it's very basic shit. Like I'm a brawler, you know, that's what it comes down to. And I'll kick you in the head, but, <laughs> but that's about it. So. Yeah. I think being an actual like competition martial artist though is definitely a, a skill set because i found this even with, with the show i do now there's some very athletic young you know stunt performers good stunt performers but when it comes to the yeah. fight scene you can tell who knows who's who's really fought before and who hasn't and it's just you know it's more yeah. for the trained eye but i think that's definitely a, a plus especially if you are the big guy you know if you're if yeah. you're a big guy who normally plays xbox it's hard to sell that you're a scary big guy but if you're a big guy who's also you know trained muay thai then yeah you can definitely sell it a little bit more totally totally and you know i got mad respect for martial artists like yourself it's like man all the training that you guys do and um, you know, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't count Muay Thai as martial arts really. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a different, a different flow, a different way that, that you guys move and, and, uh, the choreography is totally different. You know, a lot of the stuff that I, that we do is with John, you know, is, is big brawling, big moves, you know, you know, things like that, throwing people through walls, big haymakers. So it's not, uh, it's not very technical, you know type type fighting which i kind of got lucky with because i don't have that that martial arts background now with pursuing the stunt performing world you've got one or two routes if you get hired by a live stunt show which i was very lucky to do the pro is you you work and what the, what's nice about it is you just do the stunts like i did the pirate dinner um adventure which 
really, when you look back, is underpaid and incredibly dangerous. <laughs> but yes. you did rope swings, you did falls, you yeah. did sword fights. Every every kind of, you know, stuntman's wet dream is all kind of compressed into that, minus any vehicles. Totally. But, um, you know, you can get stuck in it. And it was almost heartbreaking to me that when I'd, like, I worked, I did T2, the Terminator 2 show in Japan, Orlando, and LA. And I'd meet people that opened the show in Orlando. 20 years wow. later, they're still doing the same thing in the same room, wow. doing the same moves. So then you have the film and TV world, but what kind of turned me off? And like I said, I was already a firefighter, so it wasn't something that I pursued um, with any sort of vigor. But that, um, oh God, I'm blanking on the word now, hustling. So, oh, you have to mm-hmm. try to get on set somehow. You got to fight, find the stunt coordinate. You got, you know, pal up to him. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like something that I would want to do. So, I know that your journey was a little different, but but talk to me. What what were you being told when you were kind of outside the stunt world of how to break into to, to film and TV? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of networking. You know, it's a lot of networking. I mean, first you have to have the kind of the resume to be able to network, but you have to network to have the resume. So it's almost a catch point too. So you know, you go and you do student films, or you do whatever you can if you can get on. If you're fortunate enough to get on live show and you know, get some film and get your resume up, then you can do it that way. Or, you know, um, you, like you said, hustling coordinators, you got to figure out a way to sneak on set or have your buddy call you when they're working and be like, Hey bro, you know, coordinators here. Uh, we're going to lunch at this time. If you could be here, here's the location. And you just, you know, you kind of got to network with your homies and, and figure out where they are. It's, <laughs> and it's almost a game. We kind of made a game out of it. And I'd hustle a lot, man. I'd, I'd sneak on a set. I was a pro at it. I just walk in or I drive in and security would be like, uh, Hey, what are you here for? I'm a stand in. Okay. Come on in. You know, just bullshit. Um, or you find the back lane to set. you couldn't, you know, you didn't want to trespass or like do it illegally, jump the fences and stuff because you could get arrested. But if the security guard lets you in, man, it's all good. So, um, yeah, I hustled a lot and I gave my resume out a lot, um, to a lot of different coordinators. And I think half of them called me later you know, but, and, and that's kind of the game because they probably get hustled all the time. Um, another way of doing it was, uh, they would have stunt hustles and coordinators would bring in, you know, five or six or seven stunt coordinators. And it was just kind of like, a uh, them behind a booth and you'd wait in line to, to give them your spiel for, you know, three minutes and give them your resume and get out of there. So show them your footage on your phone or whatever you could do. And, that that world is kind of dead now because of COVID unfortunately um, has made it really hard, you know, all these restrictions with who can be on set when, where, uh, and the coordinators are actually starting to get in trouble for, for these, these stunt people coming onto sets, you know, trying to hustle them. So um, I actually hustled a set one time and the coordinator chewed me out. He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, like you're going to get me fired. You can't be here. And I was like, oh shit. You know? Um, but yeah, I think uh, Instagram is now seems to be the big hustle spot and everybody just posts all their shit, all their training, all their stuff, which can help you, but it can also hurt you, you know, and I'm sure you've seen plenty of people, you know, stuff performers on, on, you know, filming themselves or training stuff. And it just kind of like, Oh, maybe you don't post that. Maybe train that a little bit lo- you know, longer before you post that, or maybe, you know, redo that fight before you post it, you know, those kind of things. Cause you know, the second it's out there, it's out there forever, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Hustling is, is a huge, uh, I think advantage, but you got to be able to do it right. And I think we talked about this before we started talk, uh, recording was, you know, just, just having the set etiquette, knowing, you know, 
when to when to be um in action mode and when to just kind of like keep your mouth shut and just kind of be respectful and you know speak when spoken to and you know don't interrupt the director talking to an actor those kind of things you know so i think uh oh go ahead no i was gonna say so on that topic then um you don't have to of course you're not going to name names but what what are some of the worst case things that you've seen um obviously the 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 humility is what you want on set but what are some of the kind of horror stories that you witnessed I've I've watched directors kick, kick stunt people off set before for just not following direction, just just plain and simple. You know, it's like, hey, walk from point A to point B, look up, notice the actor coming at you, and get your head cut off and die. That's it. <laughs> you know, it's all you got to do. And this guy, I think we did like fifteen takes, and he would literally start walking, take a drink from his cup, make a face, throw his throw his drink out, spit, keep walking get killed and and the director would just lose his fucking mind what what are you doing just walk from point a to b i don't need acting just walk from point a to b next take same thing drink his cup throw his water out spit this happened like i think at least i i want to say at least 10 times it was one of those things where it was just like he's just not getting it you know and the last take he takes his drink he doesn't spit it out he doesn't throw the water out but he gets to his mark and he looks at the actor and he goes oh fuck and that was it you know the director <laughs> loses his you want a line now you want to fuck throw a line in my movie get off my set get the hell off my set lost it brought in a new guy looked just like him the next day and we just kept going <laughs> just replaced him like that and i don't i don't you know and now that i once I saw that, I was like, this guy just doesn't follow direction. And when I become a coordinator, I'm, I'm just not going to hire him because I know who he is already, you know, um, being loud on set, you know, when you're in holding and just talking, talking, talking all the time. And, you know, the eighties constantly have to tell you to be quiet or, you know, take your conversation outside or whatever it is. It's just like, you have to know when to just shut your mouth. I think that's, that's the big thing, you know, just be respectful, shut your mouth. The, the movie's not about you. The movie's about, everybody else the lead actors that are on the poster you know like we're, we're here to make something as a team but you can't a lot of sound people these days like to make it about them so i've noticed that that's that's been kind of a common occurrence that i've seen on set lately it's just like guys like just know your just know your place in this ranking you know so um yeah i it, it blows my mind sometimes the shit i see on set well, it's funny as well because I can just see it in my mind that, you know, in, at that moment, even though it's a distorted perspective, he was probably like, if I drink my drink this way, then Steven Spielberg's probably going to see me and be like, dude, I love the way that guy swigs. Yeah. Let's get him on yeah. the next production. You never know, man. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg see it and be like, you know, this guy doesn't follow direction. He doesn't, he's not listening, you know? And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things for a stunt guy is just being able to follow direction. Um, listen to what they're saying, whether it's your coordinator or your, your director or one of the ADs, just listen, you know, and if it's like, Hey, you know, I need you to look like you're in pain before you, you know, jump off this ledge, like your, your shoulders hurt and your knees hurt. Like before you go off this ledge, other than, you know, the first two takes I did it, like I'm a superhero and I'm like, like, like the Terminator, just boom, right off the ledge. Like, no, like, you just fell off that roof and hit the floor and then you got up and you went off the next ledge. So you're beat up and you're like, okay, so there is, 
there is an acting aspect to stunts, you know, it's physical acting is, is what I like to call it, you know? So um, those little things go a long way. Absolutely. Well, bring it back to your journey then. So you find yourself doubling John. So walk me through how that then ultimately transitioned into stunt doubling John. So, um, yeah, yeah. Doubling John on the wall, um, 17 days out in the desert, we finished that project and I kind of just did my research and followed him on, on the next projects that he was doing. So I knew that he was doing commercials. Um, so I just would submit to, any of the, what is it? LA casting, I think was doing breakdowns. So I'd submit to those and be like, I doubled John on this. And then once I'd get another do- job with John, I was had that on my resume and there weren't a lot of stunt guys in LA that, uh, you know, were, are, are my size. So, um, it just seemed to work. And I, and I would get job after job after job, you know, either commercial work, stand in photo double or stunt doubling for John. And then, a year later, um, Transformers came out and John was the main bad guy. And I got a call from um, uh, 5150 and uh, the action company. And they said that, you know, hey, you're the only guy in L.A. that matches Don- John. You've doubled him before. We'd like you to come, you know, work on Transformers with us. And that was just like, what the fuck? Like, OK, you know, this is happening, you know. And so we did. I think we did five months of that. And then like two or three more commercials. And then we did the reshoots for transformers. Um, and I'm on set with John and he's kind of like, you know, we're all standing around. We're about to do this big, big ratchet scene where, you know, four guys or there's an explosion that goes off and four of our military guys just get yanked back, you know, like 50 feet. And, um, John's standing on set waiting, waiting to go, waiting to shoot. And he looks at me and he's like, Hey man, he's like, we've been working together for a while now. Cause most of the time I just, you know, stand to the side and I wait till, you know, they call me to do something and I'm, I'm in. And then at the end of the day, I thank him. I thank the director and I leave, you know, so I didn't really try to build a relationship with John at all. Um, just cause I figured he didn't have any interest in, in getting to know me. You know, I was just there to do a job is the way I saw it. And so he's like, um, Hey man, like, you know, we've been working together a lot. He's like, uh, what's your deal? What are you, what are you trying to do? you know, what's your goals? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. You know, gave him that. And he's like, well, he's like, fortune favors the bold. He's like, you got to ask the hard questions. He's like, what do you want to ask? And I was like, well, like, I want to be your stunt double. Like I want to be your guy. And he's like, well, he's like, um, we have a movie coming up with Jackie Chan and, uh, it'll be shooting in China for six months. And he's like, I don't know if Jackie has his own guys, but I'll keep you posted. I was like, okay, can, can I get your phone number and send you my stuff? And, and, He's like, for sure. So we exchanged numbers and um, like four or five months later, I get an email from the casting director or translator from China trying to negotiate a contract for me to go out there and, and do this, this Jackie Chan movie. And that was just like, you know, another like, oh my God, like this is happening. You know, I'm going to go to China. Um, and I took a really shitty low, low rate. And, you know, I was like, fuck it, dude, I'm, I'll, I'll do whatever I can. I'll take 20 bucks to go go out and do this movie. You know, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. And it, and it ended up being that, you know, um, and I did more stunts on that film than I'd ever done in my stunt career. Probably some things that I wasn't even ready for, but fuck, we accomplished it. And we, you know, I, I nailed it. Um, we had driving sequences and, you know, running on top of moving vehicles. And I got strapped to the side of a semi truck going through a wall, you know, all kinds of crazy shit. And uh, we, we crushed this movie. We did a really good job, but I, it hasn't come out yet. Um, hopefully it comes out 
soon on Netflix. But um, yeah, man, at the end of it, the last two weeks, me and John are sitting in the getting our hair done, and um, I, I have my back to him, but he's in the mirror. We're both looking at each other in the mirror, and he's like, "Hey, man," he's like, "What do you think about Canada?" And I said, uh, "I've never been, but it sounds it sounds cool." He's like, uh, well, uh, we're going there next. He said, I decided to put you on my contract. He's like, you'll be with me from now on everywhere I go. And I was just like, holy shit. All right, man. And that kind of just led into this, this last four, four years of us just doing every movie together. And it's one of those things we've become friends now and, you know, developed a trust and a relationship where, you know, he, he's had me over to his house, you know, calls me tells me, Hey man, we're getting, we're gearing up for this next movie. This is what's going on. Just keep me in the loop. And, um, he's actually been a really good friend to me. Um, so it's just, it's kind of evolved into, um, something just more than work, you know, which is, which, which is really cool. It's become kind of a family. So. So you're telling me that you can succeed as a six foot white guy in life. That's right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right, man. I'm out, I'm out here to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up with Jackie Chan films and, and Bruce Lee and, you know, you look at some of Jackie's, I wouldn't say the oldest ones, like after the kind of um, Kung Fu based ones, you had, um, you know, a lot of his kind of Western focused ones and over and over again, Armor of God is a perfect example. You would see the the outtakes, which in America, hilarious outtakes, Jackie Chan's ones. Here's how I almost died 12 times filming this. So what were some of the differences working with that Hong Kong stunt team in China versus working with the American team? Um, the Hong Kong guys, man, they are relentless. They train, you know, four hours in the morning and then they have an hour break in the afternoon and then another four hours, uh, in the evening. And that is six days a week. They, you know, they have one day of rest and they just go and, and whether it's, you know, Oh, Hey, we're working a half day. Okay, cool. We're up, at, we're up at 4am. We're training till, you know, till this time till we go to set and then we go straight to set and we work all day. And they just, they, they have work ethic like nothing I've ever seen. Um, and they fight hard. They're amazing at what they do. And they make full contact every time they want, they want to hit you and they want to see it on camera, you know? And, um, and it's not something where it's like, you're getting the wind knocked out of you every take. It's, you know, it has to be repeatable. Um, especially if you're working with an actor, but you are making contact a lot of the time, like the hits to the chest. So the hit, you know, kick to the chest, things like that kicks to the body. Um, Punches to the face are a little different. We use, you know, like, you know, camera cheats and things like that. But for the, for the most part, like you're getting thrown or you're getting, you're, you're really getting thrown. You're really getting punched, you know, in, in the body. So um, it was definitely uh, a learning experience for me. And, you know, I try and be so careful about not making contact and not doing those things. And, um, but after training with the JC stunt team, it's just like, wow, like, you know, you, tr I trust myself so much more now. Um, and I learned so much from those guys and their choreography is so rhythmic, and they just, you have to be on a tempo on a, on a beat with, with each other. It's like a dance almost um, the way that they fight and Jackie Chan, you know, I'm sure you've seen the outtakes, but he's the kind of guy that will do something incredible. Um, you know, maybe he'll, um, you know, flip a cup and, and land it on his hand or his foot and then kick it at you or something crazy like that. He'll do that take a hundred times until he gets it. You know, he will literally just sit there and he'll just do it over and over and over and over again. Um, so it's one of those things. It's like, wow, that was fucking incredible. There's no way you did that in one take. And, and, and it's true. Like he, he just does it until he gets it, you know? And, and that's the same with a lot of these guys on the stunt team. They're just like, okay, we're going to try something and we'll go in and, 
you know, we'll do this whole wire work gag where you're throwing somebody and they need to land a certain way. Um, at the same time as an object hits them in the air or something, and we'll just do it a hundred times until we get it, you know? So now with the, you said training, are they training as far as preparing for the stunts or they're also like doing their martial arts training and strength and conditioning training alongside it? No, no. In the morning it's, it's stretching and it's boxing and it's, you know, kicking and, and everything that you can imagine. I went luckily for us, they, they put a weight room in there, which they didn't have before. So for John and I, um, when we got there, we had a weight room, we had a squat rack, we had a bench press, and these guys had never, you know, worked out with weights before, really. They're like rock climbers or, you know, doing all these interesting, you know, body weight movements, but they'd never gotten under the weight before. And so it was a cool experience because I was able to kind of train a lot of these guys in weightlifting and they were able to train me in martial arts um, and, and, you know, getting my hips loose and stretching and, you know, just being like I said, more rhythmic with my fighting. Um, and it's just, uh, it was, it was cool. Like we, we all kind of learned from each other, you know? And I think, I think John learned a lot as well. He, you know, before he wasn't stretching and now he can do the splits. So, oh, really? um, you know, yeah. Yeah. So that was a pretty incredible. To me. Um, and his, 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 uh, he used to have really, you know, a really bad back and really, you know, bad posture. And then after going to China and, you know, stretching and learning these stretches. He just, he does it every day for an hour and he, you know, he feels better. He walks better. You know, you can see it, you know, in his, you can see it. He's not feeling hunched over. He's now very upright and um, all the pressure off his lower back is gone. And, you know, I think it's, it was a life-changing experience for both of us. Yeah. I remember watching uh, Samo Hung, you know, the Jackie's larger yeah. friend, still so yeah. so agile, and you're like, dude, how does someone who clearly Incredible. looks like he's maybe ate a little bit too much still able to do the splits <laughs> and like kick someone behind them? And amazing. And those guys, those two guys, are just like legends in in China. Like they, there will never be anybody like them, you know. And they kind of paved the way um, for for action for for a lot of us, for all of us. So just just in a different way, and and you know, first, first stunt guys in general, you know? Now I love, I like getting hit when we fight, yeah. you know, if it's not the head, you know, I find it so much easier to sell it when you tend to, you look at the UFC, like the human body can take a lot of punishment, you know? So sometimes totally. it, it almost gets a little too airy fairy sometimes in, in choreography. That being said, now you've spent months really, you know, taking and giving some solid shots to the body. Was there a, a difficulty transitioning to the next set when starting to be a little heavy with your punches and getting any, any pushback from that? You know, not too bad because, you know, towards the end of the film was the big fight with Jackie Chan. And, you know, I'm not really going to hit Jackie Chan. There's no freaking way. So I, I'd pull my punches on him. He was, he was mainly dishing it out on me and I would just throw him around, you know? Um, but uh, so I kind of just, I'm, I was able, I'm, I'm really good at knowing my distance with my punches and, and things like that. So I've, I've never hit an actor. I've never, you know, I think my first job, I, I poked Tori Vogel in the eye. It was an ex UFC fighter and not a guy you want to poke in the eye. And after that, I was just like, I, you know, I'm never doing that again, you know? Um, so I, I feel like my transition for that, I actually learned so much on the Jackie Chan movie that the next film that I did was actually a kid's movie playing with fire. So there wasn't a lot of fighting. But after that, we did Fast and Furious 9, and it was just like I had my fighting skills had gone up drastically from, you know, the movie before that, from, from Transformers. Like, 
it, drastically. I could see it in just the film, the playback. I was like, holy shit, like, I actually look like a stunt guy now. You know, I don't look like just some big lugs throwing arms around, you know? So that was, that was a cool um, transition for me to kind of experience. I was just like, fuck, man. Like, you know, and, it, and you have to practice. You have to train. You know, it doesn't come naturally for people that aren't martial artists or people that aren't actually fighters, you know? It's one of those things that, you know, you, you got to look violent without actually making contact, you know? So. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned playing with fire. That was a, you know, he was a firefighter in that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he was. Talk to me about the training for that film. And also, did Pierce have any kind of uh, interaction with that particular project? Yeah. So we did, um, it was about smoke jumpers, um, the firefighters that actually, you know, jump into the forest fires and help put them out. And, um, it was kind of paying homage to those guys and the guys that risked their lives and that have died and, and smoke jumping accidents. And, um, but it was funny cause it was geared, you know, for kids. Um, and I think, you know, they, I think we donated a bunch of money proceeds to Cal fire cause there was a ton of huge fires going on at that point. And, um, um, Pierce, you know, definitely had some input. I, you know, uh, I, he'd send me all the videos of them, you know, running with the, their full gear on and what they had to do to dig in trenches in the forest. And, Cause he did forest fire for a long time. And, um, just, just kind of knowing how rigorous it is and how hard it is and, and what their bodies go through was just like, for me, it was like, man, like we really gotta do these guys justice on this film. You know, we gotta really portray it in a way that it's, it's, you know, to show the brutality of it. And, you know, it's kind of hard in a kid's movie, but I think we, I think we got the job done. And I think that uh, it's just now kind of picking up traction and actually making any money on, on Hulu because before it, nobody really watched it. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, man, the training for that, we, you know, we do mountain hikes, we, we climb stuff with our, with gear on, not full gear. Um, uh, we, we do mountain trail climbs and things like that. And then some helicopter repelling and, um, you know, but it was, again, a lot of it was studio work. So we didn't have a whole lot of outdoors time. Um, but we did have some really great, uh, ex firefighters come in and, you know, be able to play extra roles and things like that. So I feel like, uh, that movie was able to give back quite a bit to the, the fire community, which was pretty cool. Well, speaking of giving back, and this is something I wanted to, to kind of highlight, I've got, I've had a few people on here, like John Travolta was on here for a bit. He donated a bunch of money to our fire service here after doing Ladder 49. Oh, nice. Um, for, uh, it was like kind of the decon element. They gave them, um, saunas and that kind of thing. Then, uh, Josh Brolin was on the show. He was in the incredible movie, Only the Brave, which was about the Prescott 19 that we lost. Um, That's right. and again, another truly altruistic man who was also a volunteer firefighter. A lot of people don't know. Um, but, when I see people that happen to be famous, happen to be actors, but do incredible things, it's something that I am drawn to. Like, I'm not, you know, fanboying by any means, but when I see, and it seems to be organically, not staged, a lot of times when I see John, he's, he's working with a military nonprofit. He's in a children's hospital. So talk to me about the, you know, the altruism with, with him. I mean, either, either I'm completely wrong or he seems like a really, really good person to me. He, John is like one of the most, you know, humble, um, giving guys that I, that I've ever met. He's not, he's not money driven or money hungry. He loves to give, he loves to, you know, he loves kids. He loves, you know, helping people. Um, it's, it's pretty cool to see, like he has the most wishes granted for make a wish. I think it's like 600 wishes for children. And just like, I've never seen, met somebody at his level, you know, who is just so 
in tune with other people's, you know, feelings and, you know, other people's struggles, you know? So that was kind of, um, you know, a really cool experience for me. It's, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I found out later that John is a Christian as well. And it's one of those things where I feel like he and I just were kind of meant to meet, you know, like we're meant to work together. And I, I realized that throughout my, my, career through Hollywood and over 10 years is that everybody, everybody in a pivotal moment for me was a Christian and I would meet these people and then I would excel to the next level and I'd meet another person and I excel to the next level. And it just kind of was a, a weird journey for me to kind of recognize that. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, our faith is just, you know, I believe in giving back. I, I believe in helping others. I believe in, you know, being a good person and, and, um, and, it, and apparently he does too. And, you know, he walks the walk and he talks the talk. So, you know, it's really refreshing to see. Well, are there any stories or things that you witnessed of that? Because again, we get these little sound bites. Sadly, we're in a world where people will, you know, orchestrate a moment of giving so mm -hmm. they can put it on their social media and get thousands of likes and shares. Um, but, you know, obviously there's a lot where people are, are, happen to be filmed, even though they're, they're, uh, you know, not not setting it up that way, but you yourself, are there any kind of stories that resonated with you or kind of moments that you remember clearly? Yeah. Yeah. We were in uh, Panama fin finishing uh, suicide squad, the suicide squad movie. And uh, it was towards the end of the film and uh, he invited me out for dinner. So we go to this, this little place we're having dinner and, you know, people come up, you know, sporadically throughout the dinner, John, can we have a picture? And he took a picture of everybody. You know, um, of course, you know, no problem. As long as they asked, he was cool with it. And so on the way out um, after dinner, there's probably like 50 children outside just waiting for John. And we exit and it's just like a mob of children. I'm just like, I'm there with them. And I was like, hey, man, you know, you want me to walk you back to your hotel? Uh, you know, are you good? And he's like, no, dude, I'm good. And so I kind of just let him do his thing. And I walked across the street and I just waited and watched just to make sure he was okay. And he literally took a picture with every single kid signing autographs, you know, saying hi to everybody. He spent probably a good 15, 25 minutes, you know, just being with these little kids, you know, from, from Panama. And, you know, they don't speak English. They don't, they, but they're, they come in with their phones. Like, da, 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 da. They got John Cena's theme song going off and, you know, they, they love him, you know, and, and he just took the time to, to do that and he totally you know his hotel was maybe a block away and he totally could have just bounced and gone to bed because it had been a long day on set that day but he 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 stuck it out and spent the time and you know that's that's something those kids will never forget so um i think he has a real soft spot for the little the little guys you know yeah. Now, what about the military collection? I know he obviously did the film, The Marine, but again, the C I forget the name of the nonprofit. I saw him attached to quite quite closely, but I mean, it seems to be there's a, a you know an allegiance to that profession as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's an all American dude. You know, he's like me, where it's like you know, America, America first kind of thing. So I, I just he he loves his troops, and he's always um, I've always seen you know. I, I haven't really experienced that firsthand, but, you know, I know that he, whenever we have ex-military, you know, guys on set or veterans on set, he's always, you know, thanks them for their service. Thank you for being here. Very generous, very, you know, uh, humble and, uh, you know, always kind of interested in learning their story. Um, so it's, I've seen him just kind of sit there and just, just listen, you know, and a lot of times that's, that's what those guys need is just somebody to, to listen to their story and, and understand like, yo man, like, 
I'm a person too. And I went through some shit, you know, um, and he's willing to do that. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to, um, to have witnessed that. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you telling the story. Cause I mean, that's, that's the thing you get this blanket statement. Oh, you know, celebrities or actors you know how dare they have an opinion on this they just need to shut sure, up and they get sure. tarred with the same brush and of course there are some screaming narcissists out there under that umbrella but there are some incredible human beings that happen to act or happen to be sports yeah. players or whatever it is that do an incredible thing with their platform and i think those people those stories need to be told as well absolutely i agree so with the the stunt side i know firsthand um how much it fucking hurts being a stuntman <laughs> yeah. i've seen you know some of my friends get very very badly hurt um luckily they all recovered but uh i got a friend i do the show with now who the ratchet uh, malfunctioned and he ended up getting like plowed through i forget what it wasn't like a marble pillar totally oh. caved his face oh. in i got a guy that i did this the pirate stunt show slipped um coming down the mast and fell in that this high fall pit or, or full pit um and nailed his back on the cement um i had olivia jackson on the show who was almost killed on resident evil yeah. i think it was like four um so it's a very very dangerous profession you know sometimes sadly we lose people completely a lot of times you at least get beat up so talk to me about injury because just like the first responder professions your body is your tool so firstly you have the injury itself, but you also have, you know, the mental health side of being taken from the very thing that you felt that you were needing to do and taken from that tribe, you know, with the people that yeah. you work with. Yeah, man. And I, you know, I've been on set and witnessed accidents and we've had some recent accidents and, uh, uh, in the, the most recent past of some guys passing away, like you said, um, it's a very real thing and it's a very, uh, it's a very high possible possibility that you you're going to get hurt, you know, doing what we do and, and even possibly die. So, um, I've, I've been injured before, um, pretty bad, you know, dislocated shoulders, torn labrum, torn rotator cuff, broken ankles, um, things like that. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it, it can really mess with your mind. It, it can mess with your mental health and, um, you know, set you kind of down a path where it's like, you know, shit, I'm out of work for the next six months. You know, you, you kind of spiral and you start to think, Oh, I got bills. I got to pay this. You know, you know, I have, do I have anything coming in? Like, you know, how am I going to make money? Um, you know, your body is your tool. That's, and if you don't have your body, just same with firefighting and, you know, as police officers or, or military, it's, you know, you get an injury and it could put you out and, you know, it, it, the stress factor of, you know, where's the paychecks coming from or how quick is it going to be that I, till I heal or am I going to fully heal, um, are all, all very stressful things. Um, and you know, most recently I, I, like I said, I tore my labor and my rotator cuff and my shoulder and it was just such a depressing time for me. Um, cause it was towards the end of the peacemaker filming. Um, and we'd done all the biggest stunts and then the last, you know, two weeks I get hurt cause I just kind of got lax and didn't check my wire and I did a, a double goo trap and straight to my shoulder. And, uh, and it was one of those things where I just kind of fell into this depression, you know, and, and I'm trying to take painkillers to get rid of the pain because I can't sleep. And, and then that, you know, you know, builds up and all of a sudden you're, you know, feeling like you, you have to have painkillers. Um, and you know, my, you know, I'm over here relying on my girlfriend to like help me, you know, take my shirt off at night or get into bed or, you know, these, these little things that we take for granted and you just, you know, you start to worry, oh no, you know, am I asking too much of her? Am I, 
you know, putting a burden on her and my, you know, you know, being, you know, a pain, a pain in the ass for everybody, you know, you don't, you don't want to be a burden for anybody, um, was, was a big thing for me. Um, and I just kind of, I think I took four weeks to kind of just really just rest and heal. And then after that, I kind of just had to snap out of it. And I started working out again. I worked out, you know, I'd work out what I could. I do my legs and I do my, my left arm and, you know, um, and I just started researching like, you know, what can we do for this injury? Can I looked into surgery? I asked my buddies who have had similar surgeries, um, you know, what are other options and, you know, talking to the doctors, they're like, you know, we're going to do, we, we could do surgery. It's going to be an eight to nine month recovery. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, like then I'm out of work for another eight to nine months. And, um, one of my buddies named Alex Kiskovich, he doubles, uh, Ryan Reynolds. He was, he did like all the Deadpool stuff. Um, he destroyed his knee, his blew out his ACL, you know, PCL, um, and everything just blew it out. And he ended up getting stem cell. Doctors told me never run again. He said, he said he got, got surgery on his knee and then he got stem cell into his knee. And within three months he was running again. And so I was like, Holy shit. Okay. Like this is something like, so for me, I was like, I'm not going to do the surgery. Um, I looked highly into stem cell and I ended up getting stem cell surgery. Um, and a lot of people think that stem cell is like, you know, aborted fetuses or things like that. It's not, um, there's ways to get stem cells. So for me, they, they went into my stomach and they pulled body fat out of my stomach and my back and they put in a machine and they spun it for two hours and they pull all the stem cells out of it and they put you on an IV drip and they inject you, uh, locally. And so I got hit in, in three separate spots on my shoulder. Um, and I was back in action in like three months. Like no joke, I was lifting 80 pounds over my head. Um, so it's been, I think it's been six months now. And that, and that helped me go back to work right away. Um, I wasn't doing very intense stunts or anything. I was still taking it easy. But just the, the idea that there was an option for me to, to get around the surgery, all of a sudden that, all that, you know, doubt and all that, you know, cloudy fogginess for me just kind of went away. And I was like, oh shit, like, okay, now there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Now I, I started to think positively and I think once my mindset changed, I healed so much faster, you know, um, and maybe that's just placebo effect. But for me, I was like, Oh my God, like I, I can, I can come back from this, you know, I'm not going to be out for the next year. Um, and I think my mindset is kind of what helped me, you know, just stay positive. Once I stayed positive, I was like, okay, I'm healing. And then I think you just got to get out of that funk, you know? Once you're, once you're injured, you can't stay in the funk for too long. Yes. You know, if you're hurt, take the time, rest, relax, don't push yourself. But once you get to that point where it's like, okay, you know, I can still work this part of my body. I can still work my legs. I can still, you know, advance here or there. You know, I think that is what kind of starts to open up that door for you to, to, to recover. You know, my, my little brother is going through a serious back injury right now. He's got three slip discs. Uh, and his lower back, um, they responded to a, a woman who had a heart attack and they got there and she was a 300 pound woman in the bed and they wanted to resuscitate her, but they couldn't do it. So they had, they couldn't do it on the bed, you know, so they had to move her to the floor. And when they went to lift her, he lifted her using his back. He didn't lift with his legs. And, uh, so he threw out three discs and now he's looking at doing back surgery and he's kind of just been laid up for the last three months. And, 
it sucks to see him at 28 years old. And I can see like, he's, you know, he's now on painkillers and I can feel like he's, he's a little depressed and, you know, but he thinks that this surgery is going to really help him just get back on. And for me, I'm like, man, like, I hate to hear, I hate the thought of him getting back surgery, you know, at 28. I'm like, dude, you know, looking to stem cell, looking at other options, maybe there's, you know, something else we can do, but he's, he's pretty determined to, to have the surgery and get back to work. So I'll tell you a story. I, I hurt my back and you talk about, you know, getting complacent and getting hurt on something that really wasn't a big stunt. Well, that happened to me. It wasn't the fires. It wasn't the extrications. It was a freaking 160 pound panic attack who I was just putting in the back of the rescue. Um, that particular one didn't dump. So I had to kind of like stretch up. I arched my back, bunch of snapping happened. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was just out and. Very long story short, kind of like you, I, I immediately was like, I'm not having surgery. I'm not, you know, I'm not even taking medicine. I mean, I, I took them for a couple of days, but I mean, ultimately I was like, no, this is not going to be part of my treatment is, you know, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, and so I started down the PT route. I started down the chiropractic route. And when I was at my chiropractor's office, he was playing a video of this muscular dude doing this kind of weird, like leaning forward thing. And he said to me, oh, this is uh, foundation training. And he himself hadn't really even explored it that much. He's like, but, you know, it's it's really good. I've, I've tried it a little bit. I want you to do this every time before you come see me from a chiropractic. Well, I started doing this 12-minute free video that was on YouTube. And I ended up telling my PT, hey, I want to start doing this in my PT session because it's helping more than half the shit that you're telling me to do. And so yeah, yeah. I ultimately had no surgery no painkillers, no, you know, anti-inflammatories. Um, and it took five months, you know, but by wow. the end of the five months, I was not only back at work, but there was a, a firefighter fundraiser that we did and it was deadlifting 225 for reps. So it wasn't just like, I'm not hurt anymore. Like it is, you know, not fixed. The damage is there. It. It's yeah, it's strong again. Yeah. So after we're done recording, I'll send you the information for that to send to him. Cause conversely, I've got two friends that went the surgery route. And the, the almost guarantee about surgery is there'll be another surgery and another surgery. And I've seen it with, with my friends. So, yeah. you know, is it, is this a magic pill for everything? No, but there's a high, high chance hearing all the success stories I've had. Cause I ended up becoming an instructor. I was so impressed. I went mm. back and taught my entire wow. fire department. Um, so there is like this, that this tunnel. Yes. Stem cells obviously be another great tool, but there are movement practices that can put the support back around the spine that then takes the pressure off the nerves that then gets you back on your feet again. Awesome. I would love, I'd love to learn more about that because just that thought of him getting surgery, I just, I can't fathom it. I don't, I just don't see it being a good thing. And like you said, once you get one surgery, it's, it's over and over and over again. So. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of stunts, Chris Hemsworth swears by it, Lance Armstrong, Kelly Slater. So you have some pretty high performing, you know, men okay. in this case that swear by it. So that's kind of the, the advocacy as well. For, it, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, that would be amazing. Now with the mental health side, I've never really kind of asked the stunt world this specifically, but I know through talking to Chris Bell and some other people that like the wrestling side, you know, we think of uh, some of our wrestlers passing away early as, you know, it's a steroids and large heart. And then you discover there's actually a mental health kind of opiate addiction element to a lot of wrestling because they're getting so banged up. They're on painkillers a lot. With the stunt world, have you have you noticed any trends as far as kind of, you know, behind the sh behind the curtain, in the shadows, mental health issues in your profession? 
You know, not, not, not a whole lot recently. Um, I know a lot of the old school guys, you know, they used to medicate highly with, you know, cocaine and painkillers and whatever they could do to, you know, like, Oh, my leg's broken, you know, hit this, let's do the next, let's do another take, you know, kind of thing. And, and uh, I think that, you know, not only has stunts become a lot more, I think, thought out and methodical and a lot more safe than, than it used to be, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of danger to it, but, we think things a lot, uh, think things a lot more thoroughly through, um, I think. And, and, uh, safety is like top priority for, for most productions. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I've noticed, I've noticed a lot of, uh, I guess you could say just alcohol dependency. Um, it's like, you're, you know, you're on location, you're away. Um, and people just tend to just drink and drink and drink and drink. And it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, you can either associate yourself and, you know, you want to be social and you want to go out with, you know, the guys and have a good time. But, you know, as a athlete and as a performer, you can't, you can't be drinking every night. You just can't do it. You're not going to function correctly. So a lot of the time I find myself when I'm on location, I'm in my room most of the time, you know, like I'll go out on a day excursion or go do something. And yeah, maybe I'll have, you know, a drink on the weekend. But if I go down to the, the hotel lobby or the pool, everybody's wasted all the time, you know? So it's one of those things where it's just, you have to, you know, kind of have a little bit of self-control, um, you know, and, and I think in turn, if you are drinking all the time, it's going to lead to that depression and it's going to lead to that, you know, um, just that, those, those, those mindset, that mindset, just, just the bad mindsets, you know? Um, so I haven't really noticed anybody to, with any type of dependency. Um, I'm sure painkillers can come into play quite a bit. And yeah, you know, I got Vicodin in my bag if I ever need it, but it's not something that I'm like, Oh, I'm going to take this, you know, I need to take it every day. No, I have it there. If I have an injury and I got to get through the day and we got to get, we got to make our day. Sure. I'll take a Vicodin and be, be good to go for the day. But then, you know, we got to assess the situation and figure out what the injury is and, and take the time to heal. Um, I, uh, on transformers, Bumblebee, I, I, broke my ankle, my left ankle. And I didn't get it looked at for, for probably two months. Didn't do it. Like just literally went home, took my boot off. My ankle was the size of a, you know, of an apple. And, uh, I was just like, man, like, do I go to the hospital tonight? I work at 6am the next day, you know, or do I just kind of sleep it off and try to go back to set? And that's what I did. So I just, sleep it off, try to go back to set. And I was like, we have two weeks left and I'm riding around, uh, you know, as a photo double and a Hummer for the rest of the time. So I think I can get through this. So I do. And for some reason, I just had a hell of a time finding a doctor that'll see me for my ankle. It was like three weeks out. So I just kept pushing it off and pushing it off. And I uh, wish that I had taken care of that injury sooner because I realized two years later that it disconnected my calf from my ankle. So I now have lost like most of my muscle mass in my left calf because I didn't get it treated and I didn't have anybody look at it. And so now I would, I would most likely will have to get surgery to reattach my calf to my ankle. I don't even know if they can do that, but um, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to like recognize those injuries and, and give yourself the time to heal, go see a fucking doctor, you know, don't just, don't just try and tough it out, you know? Um, and that was a huge learning experience for me. Just, like get it assessed, you know, don't, don't push it. Don't just take the painkillers and mask the pain, you know? Um, so 
now, now, now I have one big calf and one baby calf. So I got to get that fixed at some point. I just didn't know when the hell I'm going to do it. <laughs> and you were able to go up on your toes though? No, my, so my, my left foot, I can't go up on my toes. My okay. right foot, I can't, but I can still run and there's no pain. That's crazy. It's the craziest thing. I got yeah. a friend who's, uh, was like a elite operator in the Canadian, um, the police force, uh, mountain police. Okay. And it was just aesthetics. He, he retired out of there. I mean, again, just we're talking about the irony again of, of little things. Um, you know, made it out unscathed pretty much and literally had aesthetic surgery to balance out his calves. He's like, you know, I've always had this one that's off <laughs> and, and it went horribly wrong. He got compartment syndrome and, and right oh, now he's no. rehabbing. But, but at one point they thought they were going to have, have to cut his leg off. So, oh. yeah, I mean, it's, that's the sad thing is like, even when you do they okay, I'll just get it done. There's still that risk with the surgery, you know, and this was, like I said, a, an aesthetic procedure, but yeah, every time we're cutting someone open, you know, there's always that chance. I joked about that with my girlfriend. I was like, oh, I'll just get an implant it'll match, you know, and she's like, dude, you can't do that. I was like, <laughs> Watch. <laughs> so with that being said, though, when the one good thing we have in the fire, so not the one good thing, but one of the good things, if you have a good department is you'll have a, a solid workman's comp if you do get hurt. Um, I know one of the things that Olivia has been fighting for the longest time is that she didn't get any kind of, you know, compensation for the horrendous thing that happened to her. So what, what do the stunt performers these days have on, on a regular professional set? If you get hurt, is, is there that kind of coverage medically? So every, um, every production is different, but yes, you have, so I, I believe that there's a loophole. So what, what the problem is, if you are hired as a, if you are hired as a loan out, so you're using your own corporation, your own company, I believe the insurance is now on you and you have to pay through your loan out, which you would have through SAG, your, your, um, your union. But the production isn't liable for you. Now you have, since you have joined as a loan out, you are a separate entity. Um, you are not covered. But if you join as um, just an independent contractor and you're hired underneath the production, then you have full coverage, death, um, health insurance, all of those things. So um, I know there was an issue, you know, with um, our guy that died on Fear the Walking Dead. Um, and I, I, unfortunately, I can't think of his name right now. Um, but he, you know, he had, he, he was, went on as a loan out and I don't think that he was covered. He was covered through his own, he was had to be covered through himself. And so the production didn't want to cover him. Um, and so the family has gone to bat and they're suing and, and, you know, all those things, but it just, it makes it so ugly for, you know, for everybody involved, you know, um, I, I, there are some, some really good safety parameters. And I think we have, you know, um, death liability up to like $3 million on most of the features that we're working on. But it, it's a question that I make sure that I ask before every project, like what is the life insurance on this? What is the life insurance policy? What if I use this contract versus that contract? So, you know, productions can be very um, sleazy at times, I guess. And, and, you know, trying to cut corners or save money in certain ways in places that they shouldn't be saving money. They should be worried more about the person's health. Um, but it seems like the the money seems to take precedence a lot in our industry, unfortunately. 
Well, it's funny because I would talk about the parallels between different professions and why I love having conversations outside, you know, the, the kind of silo that is the fire service is this parallels. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't think yeah. so, you know, people beat their chests about the fire service and call them heroes. But when it comes to the money, yeah, now we're disposable heroes, you know, and, yeah. you know, there's always yeah. another person with a heartbeat that will just take the place if you get hurt or die. So, and that's, you yeah. know, it's not black and white like that, but there is, there is an element of the, you know, the, the mighty dollar being more important than the person in the uniform. So, the interesting and it's, parallel. it's so sad to see, man. I have, I have such a high respect for, you know, you guys, firefighters. Um, you know, I, I say it all the time to my little brother, like, dude, you got, you're the real hero, man. Like, we play all this stuff on TV and we fake it and we do all this stuff, but you guys are literally like running into burning buildings, you know, with no guarantee that you're coming out, you know, pulling people out, saving lives. Like I can't, I can't count on both hands. How many, how many lives my little brother saved, you know, and I'm sure it's the same for you, you know? So I got nothing but mad respect for, for you and your, your fire buddies, you know, your family of firefighters, women and men and women, like it, it blows my mind. Some of the things that you guys do and the stories that I've heard, you know, already. Um, and I, I do think it should be something that's like a higher paid job, you know, this even police, you know, same thing, like you putting your lives on the line on the daily, you know, so mad respect to you guys. And, and thank you for your, your service. Yeah. Well, I'm proud to serve alongside, you know, amazing men and women. And I think, yeah, that they should, even not so much the pay, they should be given the environment for them to thrive. I mean, the pay as well. No, no responder should have to take a second job. The pay is, you know, his yeah. or her a mortgage. But, um, you know, sadly, we're working him into the ground. And if your brother's been mandatoried a lot, told he couldn't go home at the end of the shift. But, yeah, our, our work weeks definitely need to be revamped. Yeah, yeah. No, he's done um, – he's been doing a lot of the classes, the hazmat classes. And um, I think it's the water safeties and – you know, um, boat classes, uh, helicopter classes, all that stuff. So he's just trying to get everything that he can do. And I think he just went for his engineer course as well. So, you know, he's just trying to stack, stack all the classes. Cause I know you get a pay raise, right. For most of those, the classes that you would choose. Yeah. And it depends on department. So, you know, some departments are amazing and they'll support you and they'll put you through classes, maybe even pay while you're, you know, in the class. There's others where, and I've worked for these, where you basically use your own money to take a class. You have to use vacation time to be at the class. So, uh, there's, oh, let's man. just say there's a spectrum of uh, support from departments. But yeah, once you have those classes, that can get you on a special ops team. It can get you promoted to the next rank. Wow. Um, so, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's out with, uh, SAC Metro. Okay. Yeah, I think one of my friends, Dave Bear, works for them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was an ambulance okay. operator when I worked for Anaheim. Um, cool. Brilliant. Well, I wanted to go to one more area and then go to some closing questions so I can let you go. But before we do, um, another area I think that that's kind of a, a bone of contention for a lot of people is, you know, some actors come out and say they did I, all my own stunts, which I know pisses off the stunt community tremendously. But then you <laughs> see, for example, Tom Cruise flinging himself out of a, an airplane or, you know, I've heard you talk about John, you know, there, there's obviously a middle ground where some, if able, do a lot of stunts, but then there's the insurance side as well. So talk to me about, you know, your experience with, with John and, and what he's able to do and then where you kind of have to fill in from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, John is, uh, he has no ego about it, man. It's the funniest thing. And I love it that, you know, we'll be on set and the director's like, so John, you're going to do this, this, and this. And he goes, actually Spencer's going to do that, that, and that, you know, like he has no ego about it. And it's like, uh, 
he knows that his, his limitations and he knows the things that he wants to do and that he doesn't want to do. And he, and he just, he literally just stands up for himself and puts me in the hot seat and I, and I love it. I'm like, dude, that's what I'm here for, you know? Um, and, uh, he's a great fighter. He's great with choreography. Like we'll do, uh, you know, I was, I was telling somebody the other day, like, you know, we'll literally rehearse something or create a fight, you know, over the course of three weeks and, you know, come up with all these concepts, then you get it, you know, approved by the director and then you teach the actors and, and, you know, we'll have actors that come in and they, you know, have to come every day and train and train and train to learn these fights. And, you know, John's kind of guy and he'll come in and he'll learn it in like 20 minutes and be like, okay, see you guys on set. You know, we'll rehearse it again on the day. And you're like, okay. And, you know, I'll have stunt corners look at me like, is he serious? Like he just wants one training session. I was like, dude, all he needs you know he's he's got it if he says he's got it he's got it because he's a, he's the type of person that likes to be over prepared for everything um and if he says he's got it i trust him and we'll get to set that day and we'll do a little refresh and sure enough he's he's fucking got it so um it makes my job so much easier you know and he doesn't he doesn't like to you know focus in on the little specific things that my coordinators tend to be a lot more uh adamant about you know oh you know when he pushes when he throws that right hook he needs to really throw his hips and things like that or he needs to step with his his left foot you know um you know whatever it is like these little critiques and i try and throw him at john he's like nope not doing it <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's like okay well when i do the fight i'll do it you do your thing and then we'll put it all together and it'll look beautiful you know so but a lot of times he'll just get on set and he'll just impress the hell out of the director and it's like holy shit okay you know, I didn't know he can move like that, you know, so, but when it comes to anything like fire or, you know, horses or explosions or, you know, going through glass, anything dangerous like that, I'm, I'm the first one to be like, Hey man, like, you know, I got this, let me do it, you know? And, and he's all for it. We work as a team and, um, he actually bought me a, a Rolex after fast nine. And just as a thank you to be like, yo man, like he, he told me, you know, it's from him and his wife. He's like, you've kept me healthy. You've kept me safe. He's like, there's no way we could have made these movies without you. And I'm just very thankful for you. And it was just, you know, one of the, that was one of those moments where I was just like, you know, holy shit, like, you know, this is like, he really appreciates, you know, all the things that I'm doing and all like putting my body on the line constantly. Um, so it's, it's, it was really nice to feel appreciated and just kind of to, for him to see that, that he sees me, you know, because a lot of times when I do my stuff, he's never on set, you know, and he doesn't, he's not the kind of guy to watch playback. So he's not going to see what we're doing until the movie comes out, you know, but um, he is fully aware that, you know, along with me and all, all the stunt guys that we're, we're literally putting life and limb on the line for, you know, to make these movies. So. Well, I think what makes him unique as well is, you know, you have that kind of, uh, video clip that was going around with the dude the wrestling fan saying it's still real to me damn it you know yeah, and there's a yeah. lot of people saying wrestling's fake well once you become a stunt performer you're like well actually what wrestling really is is stunt work incredible stunt work but these guys are fucking huge that are spinning through yeah. the air and everything so yeah. i can see how coming from technically a stunt background a, a, you know wrestling professional wrestling background that there is a much smaller gap to cross than it would be for an actor that went through drama school, maybe did some saw classes, but that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I say it all the time. I'm like, you know, John's essentially a stunt man himself. You know, if you look back at his career and all the shit that he's done, man, I look, I watch, you know, sometimes I'll watch like his highlight videos on YouTube just to like look at and, you know, recognize how he moves. 
so that I, you know, try to move, move more like him on set and things like that. You know, I'll watch these, these crazy, you know, flips and jumping off ladders and cage fights that they do. And I'm just like, Holy shit, man. Like you really sold that punch, you know, like, you know, gushing blood. Like, I, I don't know if you go and look up John Cena versus Brock Lesnar, it's, it's a pretty intense fight. And I, for me, I'm like, dude, did he really hit you? Like, I don't know how you fake these punches, you know? And he's like, Oh, it's a, you know, it's an old boxer move. It's uh, it's called, I think it's called a boxer cut where, you know, he used the sharp edge of his elbow to, to slice his head. And I was just like, damn dude, like, you know, you guys are doing all this for the fans, you know, for them to get that exciting entertainment. That's why he's one of the top selling wrestlers. Like, cause he put it all out there. He put it all on the line, but, you know, he has torn biceps and torn triceps, knee surgeries. Um, I think he has, you know, a couple back injuries. I think he tore his pec, you know, so he's, he's been through the ringer and I think that he's put in his time and he's proved himself and he just doesn't have an ego about it anymore. He's like, dude, like I've done my work, like let's make movies, you know, this is, this isn't the real world anymore, you know? So um, I love that, that I can just, you know, go in there and perform and, and, and do what I got to do for him. So, yeah, no, it's understandable. If you think of Gina Carano and Georges St. Pierre and some of these guys that get into films, like, why would you want to go get punched in the head again after that? And, you know, like you said, they're getting hurt for our entertainment. And then you have people saying, why don't they get hurt more? Well, fucker, you're not doing yeah. you're not the one in the yeah. cage. So, you yeah, know. They're, <laughs> they're like, you know, been there, done that, man. I've already put in my time, you know. Um, and, you know, the thing is, the other thing that I talked about is like, you know, if an actor, say Tom Cruise, who does all his own stunts, supposedly um, gets injured and, you know, then you have 200, 300 people on the crew that are out of work for the next four months or however long it takes that guy to heal. If me as the stunt guy gets injured, you call, you know, Paul Lazenby, you know, one of my Canadian stunt guys to come in and, and take my spot, you know, Um we, we, you know, it sucks to say, but we are replaceable, you know, the lead actor, you can't replace them. Otherwise you, you stop the film, um, for, as a stunt guy, it's like, you know, I have, I think I have, you know, at least three or four buddies that I've had to call in the past or that have helped me, you know, double John when I've gotten injured. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to have those connections, those, those guys, those backup guys that can come in and, and double for you if you get hurt and, you know, Luckily for me, I've, I've met a couple guys throughout the years that can be like, yo, man, I'm messed up on this one, or I just can't be two places at once. You know, we need you. So um, it's nice to be able to, to, to have those backup guys. But at the same time, it's like, you know, like I said, the, the lead guy gets hurt. That's it for the movie, you know, at least until he's better. So. Yeah, exactly. And it makes perfect sense. That's when you hear someone say, I did all my own stunts. So like, I don't think the yeah. insurance company would let you do all your stunts, even if you no. could. No. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But I want to transition some closing questions so I can, you know, be mindful of your time. The first one I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Um, you know, my, my favorite book is, uh, it's called Way of the Gladiator. And it has nothing to do with anything but being a gladiator. But um, it just kind of describes like how they, how the gladiatorial games came to be. It's very like graphic and descriptive. Um, it's by Daniel P. Maddox. It's one of my favorite books. Um, but uh, it just kind of, it's like, it's like reading a movie, you know, it's very, it's very uh, visual, which is cool. Um, 
yeah, I can't think of any other books. <laughs> no, brilliant. All right. The same question then. What about a film and or a documentary? Um, I mean, obviously, Pumping Iron is a huge documentary you got to watch. Uh, it's just, you know, Arnold being Arnold, <laughs> you know. Um, and then uh, – what was the other, what was the other question of or a movie oh uh, or a movie um i mean obviously you got to go see you know the suicide squad and fast nine and peacemaker <laughs> suicide squad was brilliant by the way i took my little boy to, what's it, Did you like it? he's 14 years old now but yeah I, oh, I, awesome. I just love that kind of genre where the superhero films now have the the comedy in them too so I mean, deadpool's a perfect example but yeah, yeah it's a great man, film yeah. I love that. You know, like, I feel like all the Marvel stuff is very much, you know, I don't know, it's so soft and like smushy gushy, you know, and then DC is becoming like this very action, dark drama, gritty, you know, company, which I really like that aspect of things. And, and as well as like the comedy aspect where it's very much, you know, like Deadpool um, esque. Uh, same with Peacemaker. Have you seen Peacemaker yet? I have not seen that yet. I was just talking okay. to my son about that, but no, I've seen the, obviously the character in Suicide Squad, but not the show itself. Yeah, so you might you might want to proof watch it before you let your son watch it. It's got a couple things in there that you're like, oh, maybe I should have covered his eyes or ears, but you know, definitely definitely check it out. It's pretty hilarious, and if you like Suicide Squad, you'll love Peacemaker. Brilliant. No, he's 14 and I've heard how those little shits talk at the bus stop. So there's, oh, yeah. there's nothing he can't see. Anyway. Okay, cool. But <laughs> <laughs> he's going to love it. <laughs> now, did you watch The Joker? Um, I did. I did watch it. Yeah. That was, I mean, we obviously we're talking about mental health. Earlier. I thought that was one of the best films I've ever seen. The, what they did with that and, and the kind of genesis of how we got to that point, but humanizing it. I thought that was totally. such an incredible film kind of just the origin story and watching him become become the joker that was that was pretty incredible um i'm really excited for the new batman i haven't seen it yet because everywhere here it's in spanish and i can't do i can't doing this up with the subtitles man i can't watch batman in spanish so i gotta wait till i get back to the states but i'm really excited for that too i heard it's good my little boy watched it with his with his mom and apparently you know roger pa- uh, roger what's his name Robert Pattinson uh, Robert, Robert, yeah, does yeah. a great job of making, again, the very kind of dark, angry Batman, which is, you know, I think yeah. that's, that's what's good. When you have an actor that surprises you because you think of him as a twinkly vampire and now he's pulling that off, <laughs> exactly. that's actually acting. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually really stoked for him. But that's the thing, man. It's like everybody tries to put you in a box and put you in a bubble and be like, oh, that's he's that guy from that thing. It's like, no, dude, like I can be anything I want. Check this shit out, you know? So I'm super stoked for him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I'll be completely honest. When um, Daniel Craig was first um, announced as a new James Bond, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then I watched uh, Casino Royale and I'm like, I couldn't have been more wrong. He is my favorite Bond now. And I'm sad. I mean, we'll see what we get next. But (laughs) I was really kind of sad that he was done. Oh, you got to be a big Bond fan, huh? Oh, yes. It's in my DNA. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Hey, man, maybe maybe it's you in the future. Oh, no, you don't want me acting. Like I always tell people, like stunts, yeah. Like if I'm not talking or like you said, the acting that we do around stunts, absolutely. Me reading lines. I, I went to drama school for a year. I was awful. So, yeah, physical <laughs> acting was where I, where I kind of tapped out. There but. you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then the next question, is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Um, I'd love for you guys to talk to my little brother Pierce at some point. Um, I'd love to get you guys connected. 
Um, there's another guy. Um, so his name is, I don't know if you guys have met um, uh, Aaron Williamson yet. I don't think so. So he's a um, ex, uh, ex-Marine Corps actor, stunts. Um, he's a trainer. He's a pr- uh, motivational speaker, and he does, like, online fitness stuff. Um, super, super in great shape. Um, very intelligent guy, and, and uh, I think he's pretty motivational. So he'd be a good guy to, to talk to as well. Brilliant. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure people know where to reach out to you and follow you. What do you do to decompress when you're not flinging yourself into walls? Um, man, I love, I love, you know, I'll go to the, the gym and just, just lift, um, swimming. I love just swimming, laying out by the pool or playing Xbox, man. That's, that's my jam. So. Brilliant. All right. Well then for people that do, you know, want to learn more about you or follow you on social media, where are the best places for that? Um, you can follow me at sir underscore Spence underscore stunts. Um, and I, that's pretty much, and, and I think I have a Twitter, but I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I never really use uh, Twitter or, or Facebook, mainly just Instagram. And um, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's my contact. If you want to find me, sir Spence stunts. Perfect. Beautiful. Well, Spence, I just want to say thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. The cool thing about you know, the journey that I took is I found myself in the stunt world. And then we have all these incredible parallels. I mean, for example, Jackie Chan's stunt team, the diligence that they have in their, you know, strength and conditioning and, and practice, you know, is a great kind of lens to look at the fire service and law enforcement too. So this has been such a enlightening conversation. I really appreciate you being so generous with your time today. No, thank you so much for having me, James. And I'm, I'm glad that we finally got to touch base because I know we've been, we've been playing phone tag for a while now. So I'm glad uh, we finally got to link up. Man. You've, been, you've been a great host. Thank you.